Hey friends, welcome to the Next Step Leadership Podcast, a conversation dedicated to helping you make your next step your best step. I'm Tracy Reynolds, and my partner for the Next Step journey is Chris Maxwell. Together we hope to inspire, assist, and create the confidence you need to take your next step in your personal growth, spiritual growth, vocation, or even your calling. Thanks for joining us. Well, come on, let's dive into this week's episode of Next Step Leadership. Welcome again to another episode of Next Step Leadership. Um, Chris Maxwell here with Tracy Reynolds. Uh, Tracy, um, like summertime uh, is coming our way and uh, shifting schedules a little bit, and, and that's affecting all of us in different ways. But, but each of these conversations that we have with ourselves or with our guests They've kind of shifted my thinking in healthy ways too. They, yep. they invite me to to think a little differently or to be aware of things that I often ignore. Uh, and I believe uh, today's guest can help us do that also. Well, I think so too. I love learning, and I love learning alongside you, Chris. Uh, today we are really especially blessed to have Elias Dummer with us. Uh, Elias uh, co-founded and fronted one of Canada's most acclaimed worship bands, the City Harmonic. Uh, he was the principal songwriter. Uh, he helped write things like uh, Holy, uh, Mountaintop, and Manifesto, which uh, ended up being the theme song for 2011's National Day of Prayer. Uh, the City Harmonic, get this, earned 12 GMA Canada Covenant Awards and a Juno Award, which is like Canada's Grammy equivalent, before disbanding in 2017. But he continues to write. Uh, he did a solo debut, uh, The Work, Volume 1, in 2019. Uh, he was named Breakthrough Artist of the Year, no small accomplishment, in 2020 Covenant Awards. He's been a solo artist. He's with the City Harmonic. Uh, he's been a collaborator. Uh, he's had well over 100 million uh, de- uh, streamings uh, to date. He and his family recently moved back to Nashville after spending about 10 years uh, there. They moved from Nashville back to Toronto. Um, and he's continuing his music career, doing a lot of, of cool things in education. Well, I don't want to steal his thunder, but it is a pleasure to have you with us, Elias Dummer. Hey, thanks for having me, guys. It's, uh, it's a joy. I'm, I'm, I've been looking forward to it. Well, we want to learn more about you and what's going on inside your world, your creative space, and the things that you're passionate about. So uh, for our guest, uh, we love to start out with you telling us a bit of your story as much as you want to share kind of about how we got to be sitting here. Sure, yeah, wow. Um, well, what probably the best way to uh, set it up would be to talk a little bit about Hamilton, which is the city I'm from. It's just outside Toronto, um, so you're not wrong. Uh, It happens all the time. Um, So Hamilton is like uh, Toronto. If if Hamilton is to Toronto as if Jersey and Austin had a you know weird love child, it's this like strange, (laughs) strange steel city that's like a hipster paradise and is very very politically active, which is which can be fascinating and and is is a fascinating place. For faith, so to grow up here um, in the '90s, I was born in the early '80s, and so to grow up here through a lot of what was happening around Toronto Airport Christian Fellowship and all of this stuff, there was this really fascinating push uh, in the late '90s and, and through most of the early 2000s uh, towards like unity between Christian churches. So the band, the City Harmonic, the the song Manifesto, all stemmed from. Uh, this movement of churches working together to do social good and to learn from each other and make an improvement in a city, which when I was growing up 
was largely considered kind of the armpit of Canada. So <laughs> there was there was a lot happening in kind of making faith more than just an abstract and really bridging that gap. So I was part of several, uh, I was one of, I founded one of the kind of student arm movements of that organization, uh, with other friends and with Redeemer university and was on staff for church. And then when I left my position at church, uh, those of us who'd been leading worship together, uh, at the youth arm event, the youth event, uh, became a band. And so we were a worship band that didn't attend the same church. Mm-hmm. We had we were part of different churches working together in what was principally a missions movement. So that. so the kind of question of the let's say holistic implications of the gospel and of being the church and that sort of thing. I mean obviously we all believe it is important to nourish and 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 cherish the soul and what it means to be a human. Um but I've long seen that we often struggle with the second half of that sentence, with the what it means to be human part of, you know, being and following, being like and following Jesus and all we do. So that's bled through the rest of what I do. So by the time I left the church and started the band, I started a marketing agency and got really into neuroscience and behavioral economics, and which led me down a road of an amateur interest in all of those things as well as sociology and all of this stuff. So I kind of geek out a lot. Um, and my wife and I have, you know, at this point, five kids, all of whom super curious. So this is the sort of stuff we talk about all the time. Mm-hmm. But but yeah, so City Harmonic, you know, we, we had a good 10-year run traveling and trying to bring pastors of different denominations together in conversation. Um, at the risk of being perhaps a little controversial, uh, the attitude and interest in that started to wane as 2016 approached. Um, and we spent the better part of uh, late 2015-2016 or 2015, trying to run pastoral roundtables and saw that, that the passion for that kind of petered out, which was, uh, which is, you know, only history will tell us exactly what that right. was. Um, but, but yeah, and, and since then, it's been sort of important to me to look at what it means for whole people to follow Jesus, to worship Jesus, and for worship leaders in particular, uh, to treat people like people, hmm. you know, to, to imagine that what we're doing when we come together and worship, it, that God didn't think making us as human beings was a mistake. And so to figure out what are all the various things that have come to play in leading worship and that sort of thing. So my family moved to Nashville 10 years there, wrote for a lot of people. City Harmonic retires in 2017. Um, in that time, I had co-planted a church. And so we were looking at, uh, you know, looking at the these same sorts of questions and kind of blending modern worship and liturgy and different things like that. Um, and then we've moved back uh, in the last uh, in the last six months um, to be closer to family and have our kids, you know, living in the city has been nice for them and that sort of thing. So in terms of like the big events, those are them. Uh, City Harmonic retired. I put out a record. I've now put out two. The work volume two has been out and the reception to that has been uh, really encouraging. Um, Meanwhile, I run a few businesses, including that marketing agency I started 15 years ago, uh, working with kind of a lot of strategy and and data stuff for businesses of all sizes. Um, I could name drop, but I don't need to. Uh, The... The and then sort of backwards have wound up working with a bunch of academics on uh, research, kind of bridging my experience in the music industry and in the marketing uh, space 
with what they're doing in terms of data studies or in and around worship and worship leaders. So I'm in a really weird place right now where, you know, my worlds as I'm, you know, 40 now, my worlds are colliding in a fascinating way as I guess they're, they often yeah. do for people. So <laughs> you are a young 40, my friend. Well, I want to dive into the academic side in our next podcast, but yeah, I would love to how talk. Let's talk a bit about the whole craft of yeah. songwriting and what you do for inspiration and what that looks yeah. like. It just seems like it can be such a conundrum. Uh, and some of our listeners are embarking on that. Some of them are, are budding worship leaders. I yeah. just love to, to hear what a 40 year old worship leader songwriter would say to a 20 something. Yeah. Wow. Um, well, there's, it's, it, it's a bit of a catch 22 when it comes specifically to writing, I think, worship songs. Um, I think there is a, uh, tendency to treat the discipline of songwriting and then take a sort of narrow isolationist view of where my art is allowed to go Mm. that, that forces songwriters to think if the only Avenue is this, then everything I have to say, every creative impulse has to go in this direction. And I don't know that that's actually all that good for the church. Mm. So I think there's this thing that I'm, I'm coming to as I get older, I'm like, Hey, we should probably allow songwriters to write the songs which they need to from a sense of personal expression. Mm. But in as much as what we write as worship songs, if you will, are poetic liturgy, they're formative, they are massive theological tools, I think we need to give people permission to say, hey, I wrote a song and it's not for that, it's for this other thing over here. Mm. Because otherwise we put all the pressure on all of our creatives to put it all in one place, which then means we have this massive industry that is kind of trying to keep artists busy rather than form followers of Jesus. Yeah. And that can, that can be very concerning as I'm, as I'm seeing those trends and the moods and often uh, very gifted and talented people with sincere hearts. They're wanting Mm -hmm. to draw closer to God and use their gifts in a healthy way, but they feel controlled by Mm -hmm. culture where they have Mm -hmm. to fit this part and I'm totally. thinking we're we're missing out on so many. I mean, I love. I mean, growing up as a part of uh, a traditional church, yep. um, the hymns didn't mean that much to me. I didn't understand them. But now, in the church that I'm pastoring, I make sure that we include hymns. It's yeah, not right. just the new songs. I want to. I want us to be able to blend the ancient and the modern together. But but why can't we have space somewhere for the poets, for the artists? Totally. You totally. know, for the creative minds, believing totally. that our creator has created us to be creative. Totally. I couldn't agree more. And I think part of it is, you know, we were all around in the 90s and it, there was a lot of kind of a, say, isolationist or kind of cultural separatist kind of view where it was like, hey, we're going to be in this bubble and we can't be in the other thing, even though, right. you know, in the world, but not of it. We went of the world, but not in it. Mm-hmm. And I think there is there is a kind of uh, blowback to that that I think is helpful, which is to say now, like I think we need to give our writers permission to write songs, and then as churches and leaders and writers figure out which ones are songs for all of us in the church. And there's you know there's a lot to come with that, and we'll talk about that in our next thing. Um, but but I, I think as a writer, there's this strange place between discipline and habit. And inspiration. 
where, um, you know, writing worship music for me, and I know I was talking to my friend Chris Llewellyn of Ren Collective. We had a, we were writing a song together and kind of bemoaning this. It's like one of the issues with that restrictive approach is that every song becomes like this existential crisis. (laughs) If you, if you take seriously the role that you have at all, you're, you're every time you write, you're like, darn, I'm writing someone's prayers. They're going to remember in eight to 10 years. And who am I, even if I'm a nerdy theology geek, you know? (laughs) Um, so that weight is there in writing worship songs. And so what I've come to do now is I write all kinds of songs. Mm. Um, I sit down every day and write. Um, and you know, as, as I try to maintain and sustain a prayer life and I try to do all of those kind of normal Christian spiritual disciplines, um, I just try to weigh when a song is best suited to the church or to, you know, maybe it's not a worship song for Sunday, but it's one for Monday through Saturday as people live their life. And that's fine. I've just come to a point where I'm kind of trying not to make that a restrictive box for every idea that comes. Um, cause I'm not sure it serves people best anymore. Um, you know, I was, um, uh, in the music business right out of college, in uh, which I'm a, just a dinosaur. This would have been 1979. And what was con- that particular time was called contemporary Christian music, and it was a, yeah. kind of a, a broad genre. But the tension was the same, Elias. It was that uh, I had been classically trained, and I was a trumpet player by day and a keyboard player by night, and I love jazz, mm-hmm. and I love, you know, but there really wasn't space for that. So um, what the tension was this. I was uh, not necessarily wanting to write Christian music. I was more a Christian who was writing music. Mm-hmm. And there's a vast difference. Uh, I think making space for the creative says it's okay. We, we don't ask the, the Christian plumber, well, you're only working on Christian Yeah, exactly. Pipes, exactly. Know? Yeah. <laughs> so I mean, part of it is just the tension between, well, I and I love what you said. I write music as a discipline, and I just kind of sort it out later. Uh, yeah, I think that works. Yeah, it, it it's working for me lately. That's for sure. Um, and I think part of it for me, growing up in Hamilton, Canada, there's not really, or there wasn't, a Christian radio station where I live growing up, and so the church was the primary, if not the only, avenue for encountering Christian music. So by the time the City Harmonic became a known thing in the Christian world, we were still totally oblivious to the role and influence things like K-Love and WayFM and that sort of thing play. We just, it was totally new to us. We did not know it and we did not understand it. Um, in fact, I would say um, I still wrestle, even though I'm in this lane, I still wrestle with uh, exactly the role that, say, Christian entertainment plays as compared to worship music. I d- and I don't, I don't have an answer. Um, but, but there is this sort of, you know, I think of the church and I think of believers as people on mission. Um, I think of a follower of Jesus as a person who is faithfully to Jesus, engaging the real world as it is. Um, and I and I don't know the role because I have teenagers and I've watched them grow up and and I know there's obviously tension in isolation versus engagement when it comes to culture, right? And so that is a tricky line to walk. I don't have an easy answer, and I'm not sure that there is one. Um, but I but I do think that that tension is the place where probably believers ought to live more right. than with an easy settled answer. 
Um, so for us, worship music was always deeply important because it had been vital to our spiritual formation and our growing up as believers and, and that sort of thing. So City Harmonic was an accidental CCM band who thought they were a worship band the whole time. Mm. Like it was just this kind of, because we didn't have, we didn't have a category in the culture of, of that kind of Christian contemporary music where we lived was not all that vital. Well, and can, so, yeah. I, I, I'm thinking back as you're saying this, I'm like, it reminds me of, cause I, I used to write for CCM magazine, their update, which was for yeah. the culture, you know, for the kind of the inner world of contemporary Christian music. And I was given the assignment to write the reviews of the worship music. Yes. But there were many times where we had arguments or disagreements on, is this worship or is it not? And I always erred on the side of, why can't that be worship too? I mean, right, <laughs> I can worship right. with that. If you, if you read the Psalms, there was lament yes. as a part of the, you know, they would march into towns declaring sadness as they, it, those original prayers in poetic yes. form that became hymns of a nation. And, but it was just interesting us going back and thinking, well, this is this is my selection is one of the top praise and worship albums of the year. And it's like that's not praise and worship. Well, it is yeah. for me. It may not be for yeah. you. Yeah. Well, it's fascinating because the Psalms are deeply human too. I mean, you look at David, and you've got a pretty small gap between David, the very faithful, will never do anything wrong, and the David apologizing for murder and adultery. Yeah. Like the it, it's it, and and that's all there. So you have this kind of very earthy, grounded human expression in what was until, and the reasons for this are many and complicated, um, but what was the songbook of the church for the bulk of Christian history. Right. And so, you know, and there are all kinds of nuanced reasons as to why we may end up where we are right now compared to the Psalms. But needless to say, I think it's a worthy challenge for people who want to write songs for the church to remember that they're writing songs as a human being to people, the majority of which these songs become the thing that kicks around in their back of their head, and they may or may not engage Christian music or worship music throughout the week. This might be the moment. So to what extent can they relate to it? I mean, I think of Hey Jude often, you know? I think there's this uh, desire sometimes in worship writing um, to make songs which are so universal that no one can relate to them. And I think, you know, it's it's probably helpful that Hey Jude was not called, you know, Hey Bud or Hey Dude. Like the, <laughs> just 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 assigning a name to it gave it an urgency and an immediacy that, you know, I think sometimes we try to avoid in worship music. We try to be as non-specific as we can or as abstract as we can. And not to say that those things aren't good, um, but I think part of what we see in Jesus, in the incarnation, in his life and mission on earth was this bridging, this meeting place of heaven and the abstract and, you know, literal dirt. So you have this, this human holy thing um, that I think, uh, you know, I I hope that I exhibit in my work and I hope that I encourage others to do the same. Um, And I think I'm, I'm hopeful that that is happening. Um, But I think that's, that's where, you know, the future lies for, those of us in the in this space is to figure out what it means to be a human being worshiping a holy God who came to earth as a human being. And it's this mm, fascinating, weird, you know, enigma. Um, and that's the space I think worship writers ought to live. 
Well, those are powerful statements, Tracy, right there. Absolutely. Well said, my friend. <laughs> Well, thank yeah. you. Well, well, this is good, and uh, we need to end this. I would love to continue the, this conversation right now, but we will we'll have you again for our, uh, our episode next week. But thank you for your honesty, for your wisdom. It's okay to be creative and also study deeply and then be artistic and mm-hmm. sing songs and guide others. So, you, yeah, we're, we're, we're going to be continuing to learn, learn a lot from you. And, and our goal here at Next Step Leadership is finding ways to make sure that our next steps are our best steps. Thanks for joining us on Next Step Leadership, the weekly conversation dedicated to your personal growth and leadership development. Chris and I are so glad you dropped in. You can find us on all your favorite podcast providers. Do us a favor and hit subscribe. And if you really want to help us, give us a rating. We so appreciate your support. Check out our show notes for more information regarding guest contact information. Chris Maxwell's 11th book, Equilibrium, 31 Ways to Stay Balanced on Life's Uneven Surfaces, is available now at www.chrismaxwell.me or Amazon, where you can find all of Chris's previous books as well. Our featured music is by Casual Americans. You can find their new musical releases at www.casualamericans.com or at your favorite music suppliers. We release Next Steps Leadership each Thursday, so join us again next week on the Next Step Journey, a conversation dedicated to helping you make your next step your best step.